0: I love the Word of God, and we just had the opportunity, the gift to read every word in 1 Peter, much like the first recipients would have gathered together in a home or in other public place and eagerly receive this word from their beloved Peter as well as, most importantly, a word from God. Now, usually we stand to read God's word. I figured since we were reading five chapters today, I will, we would have you sit. But I want to ask you to stand to pray. So stand with me and let's pray. No, I'm not letting you go right now. We'll be sitting after we pray. All right, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are are here and thank you, Lord, that you have spoken and you have spoken truth that our souls need. Lord God, we need you so much. We come here today uh, knowing our neediness, even from just this past week. We know how much we sin, we know how much we fall short, and we know by your word how great you are. Thank you, even for the privilege of reading these five chapters today. Thank you for this rich, rich grace the true grace of God that you have given and Lord we pray that you would have your way with us that you would change us that you would comfort us that you would challenge us and that you would empower us to serve you in ways that affect eternity and we thank you in Jesus name amen please be seated Peter was writing to a group of people that were in trouble. They were facing persecution. But the persecution was going to get worse before it got better. He was writing before Nero's persecution of Christians, before he blamed the Christians for the fire of Rome, before he took some Christians and coated them with wax and burned them alive and other atrocities. Peter is writing to a group of people and the Holy Spirit is letting him know that it is going to get worse before it got better. What would you do if you knew a group of people were going through extreme pain and hardship and persecution and and you were going to write to them and you knew that it was going to get worse before it got better? What would you say to them what words would you use you would take them to the only unbreakable immovable person you know you'd bring them to God and you'd say here is where you need to reside you need to know now that that Jesus is, is your life so that you can get you can get through this and realize that there is so much more so much more beyond it that's what Peter is doing I call this the best intro ever because in two verses he gives the entire Christian life he basically is 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 giving them he throws us into the deep end of the pool right away and he says this is what you need to know and I'm going to go into more detail I love the fact that we read it all in one sitting because that's what would have happened back then they would have heard it all as a unit and they would have gotten it and they would have had opportunity as the days went on to read it again, consider it again, talk to each other about what they had heard and what Peter had said, and how it affected what they were going through, how it affected the persecution and the trouble and the times that they were living in. Because Peter is writing to them to give them hope, to point them to the living hope that they have in Jesus, and that from here to heaven you're safe from here to heaven you're kept you're secure and that's what he wants us to know too that's what God wants us to know today you're going through trials you're going through troubles you're going through persecutions of all sorts and God wants you to know that if you are in Christ you are safe let's start in verse 1 there's a reason why I call this the best intro ever Again, he, in, in two verses, the entire Christian life. And there, there's doxology, there's praise to God. That This is a very God-centered, very God-centered letter. He, letter, he saves by sovereign grace, Peter is saying. And there is also some deep theology. He's got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he's explaining how God saves people. And then there is Biography. You can't miss the biography of the changed lives in Christ because Peter begins with one name, and it's his own. And this book starts, this letter starts, Peter. Some of you might not be familiar with the Bible. This might be your first time to even hear the Bible preached. But Peter, if you're familiar with the Bible, is the one who denied Jesus three times. That's the same Peter, the one the Gospels represent as this bold, impetuous, sometimes overconfident man who was a fisherman, and Jesus said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. This is the one that told Jesus, I will will follow you to death, And, and then he turns around and says, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. He receives a new name from Jesus, Peter, which means stone, which means rock. And he's looking now, he's pointing now to the rock of ages. He is pointing God's people to the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts with his name, Peter. And he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the only time, the only title or position in or office in Scripture Apostle that has of Jesus Christ listed. There's no new apostles coming onto the scene. The apostle Paul called himself one untimely born. In fact, when he wrote, the Holy Spirit had him put stuff in to say, I really am an apostle because people were denying it left and right. No one denied that Peter was an apostle. He was universally accepted by the early church as really the chief amongst the apostles but that is not how he names himself he doesn't say peter the chief peter the main apostle just simply humbly clearly an apostle of jesus christ he was not self-appointed He didn't name himself as an apostle. Jesus made him an apostle. He's a messenger of Jesus. He's on Jesus' mission, not his own. And he is writing as a pastor. He is writing as a shepherd. He loves the people that he is writing to, even if he's never met them before. And he is saying, I am writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, to you who are, and I love you, these two words, elect exiles. Elect exiles. I told you that Peter loses no time jumping into the deep end of the pool and bringing us with him. Next week, I'm going to be preaching on God's foreknowledge and regeneration and election and predestination and free will and I can't wait. How about you? It's here. We can't ignore it. We can't deny it. He's writing to the elect, those chosen by God, those that God marked out for salvation, those that God said before the the creation of the world, mine. Those that that God chose beforehand to have a relationship with through faith in Christ. Elect. Elect. We'll get into more detail next week. I I seriously can't wait. It's one of my favorite doctrines in the Bible. And it's not one that anyone should be afraid of. I know that some people like to deny God's electing and God's foreknowledge, and they try to explain it maybe in more man-centered ways. Humankind hates the doctrine of election and foreknowledge. Our flesh hates that doctrine because we don't have any part in it. It's all God's work. Give you a little hint though. We most of us speak English and we have one word, foreknowledge. In the Greek, there are two. We'll clear it up next week. If you were speaking Spanish, you'd realize that too, because there's two words in Spanish. But here we are kind of limited, and I will say some people deny this doctrine because of the way it's been taught. Do you know that every time it's taught in Scripture, it's to comfort believers? You go through the whole of the Bible, anytime it's talked about God for ordaining and predestinating and electing, it's all about comforting believers. And most of the time, they're in trouble. Peter is writing to a group that are in trouble for being believers in Jesus. And he's letting them know in no uncertain terms that you are safe in Christ because he chose you You are not, you are not going to perish. The elect exiles, the sojourners, the aliens of the dispersion. If you were a Jew in those days, and he is writing to Jew and Gentile alike, all who comprised the Church of Jesus Christ in those regions, and and you would know the dispersion of Jews throughout the entire world, the, the dispersion of Jews amongst pagans. But here, Peter is talking about a dispersion of believers amongst unbelievers out into the world and he names the places he's writing to big areas Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia it's interesting to note that Peter when he stood up boldly on the day of Pentecost and preached that first memorable sermon there were people from Pontus, Cappadocia and Asia listening to him preach and here he is writing to these areas and What's kind of interesting is Pontus, Bithynia was the same place. They had both joined the Roman Empire and they were next door. They were like one place, Pontus, Bithynia. That's how it was known. But here he says they're going from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And most people think this is because he is basically charting out the route that Silas or Silvanus would be bringing this letter. So you, you, you go on the ship from Rome to Pontus, you you arrive there, and then it's going to go through these regions, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and then back to Bithynia, Pontus, Bithynia, and then on back to Rome. Most people believe that Peter was writing from Rome, and at the end of this letter, he says, she who is in Babylon greets you. Babylon is code word for Rome. Rome had become the center of the world at that time. And Peter is writing to a group of people that needed comfort a group of people that needed to be to be assured that God was in control that God had this that God knew what they were going through and he's writing them in doxological terms in praise to God he is an apostle of Jesus Christ they're elect from God and it's according verse 2 to the foreknowledge of God the Father He starts off and says, this is is all according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You being elect exiles, you being elect from before the foundation of the world and known by God and chosen by God for salvation, and the fact that you're now a sojourner here on earth. That's according to the foreknowledge of God. Exiles. The idea of being an exile is that you are residing in a place, a sojourner, even an alien, you're residing in a place... But your greater allegiance is to another place. In another realm. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but uh, as a pastor, you might think this is a little bit odd, but I own two homes. I have two homes. And uh, I don't have any problem with it at all. In fact, I, I think this is what God wants for me. Because I have a home right here in orange. I love it. But my other home... Yeah, I don't even know how to get there right now. I mean, I kind of know how to get there, but I, I've never really been there because my other home is in heaven with, with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that home, that's my true home. I love where I live now, but that's not my true home. That's my, that's my resident alien sojourner exile home. You have one too. You might love it. But don't start loving it too much because you've got another one you've got one if you're a believer if you're not a believer you got what you have here on earth and and there is something awaiting for you that I don't want you to take we call you to faith and repentance in in Christ you want to have a home in heaven Paul talks about that to the Philippians he says you you are citizens of heaven Philippians 3 20 you're citizens of heaven we are citizens of heaven so yeah I got a house here but I got a home somewhere else I hope you do too. It's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And what he's doing now is he's showing how God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit work together in salvation. God purposes our redemption. The, 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 the Son secures it at the cross by dying for sin and paying the penalty and substituting Himself. And the Holy Spirit works it out in our lives. The way Peter puts it is the sanctification of the Spirit. We like to talk about being Spirit-filled. We like to talk about being Spirit-led. I've never, ever had anyone ask me, are you a Spirit-sanctified Christian? Never had anyone ever ask me, is this a Spirit-sanctified church? This is where Peter's going. He's talking about the entire Christian life, this salvation that comes. uh, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And the Spirit is sanctifying believers, making them more like Jesus, conforming them to the image of Christ. If you're a Christian, that's what's happening in your life. It's hard to see it sometimes, right? Some of you are like, man, I I just don't see God working in my life, or I just don't see myself getting, you know, stronger as a believer, and I feel like I'm getting weaker at times. But if you truly know the Lord Jesus, it's because you are elect and it's because of the foreknowledge of God and the Spirit is sanctifying you. The next thing Peter says is for obedience to Jesus Christ. There's the response from us. There's the cooperation. There's, there's the, the angle, humanly speaking, that we need to want and to seek and with all our hearts to desire. Obedience to Jesus Christ You know, he says later in the letter that you should honor the emperor, but not as God. In those days, the rally cry was, Caesar is Lord. They worshiped the emperor as God. Peter makes it really clear, no way. Peter makes it really clear, Jesus is Lord because you obey the Lord. You obey the authority. You want to follow the one who is sovereign. And here he is saying, it's the the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he comes to probably the most puzzling puzzling words in this passage he says and sprinkling with his blood we run away from blood we don't want to have that going on and we're just like scared of blood and, and so it's, it's kind of an odd wording but if you were one of the Jews that was being written to you you'd say ah I know of three sprinklings of blood in the Old Testament the first was at the giving of of the law to moses and the blood was sprinkled god was making his covenant with his people and then when aaron and his sons were commissioned for god's service they were sprinkled with blood signifying that they were set apart for god's use but there was another sprinkling as well if you were a leper and you were cleansed of your leprosy you would be sprinkled with blood as a sign of your cleansing And this sprinkling with blood really is incorporating all these things. That God makes a covenant with his people. That God sets them apart for his service and God continually cleanses them in forgiving them because of the shed blood of Christ. To open this up a little bit more, just go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I'll take you to Hebrews 9. We'll start at verse 11. Then we'll look at chapter 10 and then we'll look at chapter 12. Because this is explained by the writer of Hebrews so hebrews 9 verse 11 says this when christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come even through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves stop right there goats and calves in that day you weren't getting sprinkled with your own blood you were getting sprinkled with animal blood and it was to signify god uh, receiving a sacrifice to take care of your sins and it was done over and over and over again to remind them how much they needed god and how much they needed the redeemer that he would send and here's what it says that jesus appeared by means of his own blood he he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption his blood secures eternal life and it says in verse 13 if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh like when a leper was cleansed how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God we all want a clear conscience before God and man we all want to say I'm forgiven and we are being told very clearly by Peter and the writer of Hebrews that that comes through the shed blood of Christ Hebrews chapter ten, and verse twenty-two. Actually, go up to verse nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain—that is, through His flesh, He died for us and He shed His blood. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water and then hebrews 12 verse 24 we read that we have come to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of abel because the blood of christ cleanses us from all sins in fact first john says that we confess our sins God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sins. I told you that Peter is talking about the Christian life here in two verses. All of salvation, God's program, sprinkling with the blood of Christ, covered by the blood of Christ, Redeemed by the blood of Christ. Secured by the blood of Christ. Loving the blood of Christ. Peter ends with with this. This intro, this greeting. May grace and peace be multiplied to you something that Jew and Gentile alike could latch onto, this grace of God that was unmerited because of his sovereign good favor and this peace, this shalom, this deep abiding sense of well-being because of God doing what was necessary to save. He says, I don't want just little doses for you. I don't want a little sample for you or a little hors d'oeuvre for you. I want this to be multiplied for you. Because it is multiplied for believers. Grace upon grace, as John put it. Grace in the place of grace, a continual supply of grace from God. And peace that passes our understanding. Multiplied. So there's this praise to God in doxology. He saves by sovereign grace. There's this deep theology, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit picture of God explaining how He saves. It's very God-centered, not man-centered. But then there's this biography. Go back to the first word, Peter. Here's Peter, changed by God, changed by grace, new identity in Christ. He uses the name Jesus gave him, the nickname that Jesus gave him. So Peter, this, this stone is, is pointing us to the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's changed by grace. And, and, and the biography opens up even further because he's writing to elect exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all, pretty much all of modern-day Turkey. And, and what, it, what you would be struck by if you looked into the background of each of these locations that would have comprised numerous churches in each location. That they had different economic statuses. They had different education levels. They had different languages, different customs. Vastly different people. And Jew and Gentile alike were being formed by God into this new community because we would be blown away if we even looked at this group that's gathered here, third hour. If we would be looking at our backgrounds and where we've come from and, and how our lives have, have unfolded and all the things we've said and all the things we've done and all the things we've been through and, and all the things that God has brought into our lives and how he makes out of very diverse people and backgrounds and, and he takes that and he makes it into his bride the church of Jesus Christ that that it's it he makes unity out of diversity Peter wants them to know that they should be comforted they're going through trouble it will get worse and from here to heaven Jesus has them he is sovereign he is He is holy. He is good. He has done this, and and He has made them elect exiles for a, a sovereign gospel purpose. He wants them to be comforted, assured, confident. He wants them to be free to serve. Don't you want to be free to serve? No baggage. But it's interesting who writes us this letter. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the denier, the vacillator, the judger, the usurper. Hey, I want the best spot. You know what's interesting? Paul talked about his life before Christ a lot. He says, I was a persecutor, a violent aggressor, I was a blasphemer because we saw him beforehand. Peter doesn't go there. Now, in this letter, we are going to see as as we go through this that there are times when he'll say, don't be ashamed, and and read in between the lines, because I was, but I'm not anymore. Because he was changed by the grace of God. Peter's not going there. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's not ashamed to say he's an apostle. Because it was all because of the grace of God. I think um, some of us sometimes have some memory loss, or we've known loved ones and it's very very disheartening when someone has memory loss but there is a memory loss that should take place in the church you know we like to remember what people did against us we like to be remember we like to remember what someone was like before they were a christian and when they walk in the doors of a church or our homes or in our fellowship group we like to still relate to them on the basis of what they used to be We like like them to carry their baggage in and then we'll, we'll take care of their bags. We have to have memory loss on what we were like beforehand in terms of relating to people like that. Don't relate to people on the basis of their sin any longer when they've been changed by Christ. Jesus doesn't relate to you any longer according to who you were or what you did. He relates to you. On the basis of the shed blood of Christ. I really am looking forward to going through the rest of this letter with you. A living hope we have in Christ from here to heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good to us to give us the gospel your unbreakable plan your sovereign plan even if the bottom feels like it's falling out of our lives lord we are safe in you and we can take comfort knowing that we have good hope by grace that we are held by your unbreakable sovereign plan that we are safe from here to heaven things around us will crumble here on earth we will feel like we're living on a ledge that's cracked and about to break But the structural integrity of your grace and your sovereign good plan will never, ever break. We will feel like we are going to die. But you will tell us once again, take courage, take comfort, take assurance, take confidence, be free knowing that I am in control. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel is not just this minimum required Doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom but also the way by which we make all progress in your kingdom it's not like we're justified by your grace in the gospel and then sanctified by our own obedience but the gospel is the way we grow and are renewed and are changed so every problem we have you're the solution every closed door you're the key every barrier you are the power and we thank you we praise you